Hello, and welcome to NeuroCurious, a podcast about all things brain, body, mind, and culture, not necessarily in that order. I'm Deborah Budding, and I'm joined by co-hosts Jamie Jones and Peggy Schaefer. Um, since this is our first official outing, um, we thought we'd begin by introducing ourselves and what we are hoping to accomplish with this podcast and kind of orient everybody to it. Basically, we're going to be devoted to discussions related to practical application of neuroscience, since we're all clinicians, um, and thinking about how it relates to uh, neurodiversity, neurodevelopment, neurodegeneration, um, and culture. Mm-hmm. So, welcome. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> um, so, should we just go around and sort of introduce ourselves a little bit and mm-hmm. talk about who we are, how we got to where we are here now, for example? <laughs> that could be interesting. <laughs> it surely will. Welcome to a six-hour podcast. <laughs> Um, so Peggy, let's start with let's start yeah. with you. Who are you, Peggy Schaefer? I'm Peggy Schaefer. I am a neurologic music therapist. And what is that? Right? What is, what is yeah. that? Yep, the party question every time. <laughs> and what is that? So it's the application of, let's say, music. We use rhythm specifically um, to non-musical needs. So we use a neuroscience model of brain and behavior function, and apply how the brain perceives rhythm, and then can use that in clinical populations, which I think we're going to be using more time to go into a deeper detail on what that is. Yep. But that's sort of a rudimentary explanation. And how did you get there? Interesting question. Um, so um, my background and my training and my bachelor's is in French horn performance. So I was going to be, well, my mind thought I was going to be a classical French horn player. As you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, looking at the numbers, the odds are not in my favor <laughs> <laughs> of getting a career out of that. Uh-huh. And also, I, I minored in psychology during my bachelor's, so I thought, and then, you know, yeah, I did, yeah. And then um, I looked on a map for my master's, uh, deciding where to go. This is a very intricate, very well-thought decision. <laughs> and you thought, I'm a French horn player. Yeah, where can yeah, I go that's a high yeah. enough altitude? <laughs> That will make it really difficult yeah. for me to play. Um, so I basically looked on a map and went, where is a program that has a master's equivalency, which means you do your bachelor's and master's at the same time in music therapy. And I was like, well, uh, I'm not going to live in Kansas. Um, not a bad place. Yeah, it's not a bad place, but it's not for me. It wasn't for me. So I looked you on a map and said, Colorado it is. <laughs> and I moved and I knew no idea. I had no clue what I was stepping into. No, really, I had no idea. And so then I met um, Dr. Michael Tout, who Yay. yeah, Yay, Dr. Tout. great, and his wife, who is also Dr. Tout now. And um, I didn't know it, but there was the Center for Biomedical Research and Music there. The Academy for Neurologic Music Therapy was located out of there at that time. A lot and of cool stuff there. Carol really Seger's great. there. Yeah, really great. And a great town. Fort Collins is great. Yeah. Um, a lot of breweries. Um, but that's another podcast. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, we will definitely yeah. be doing the oh, neuroscience yeah, we definitely and embodied that. cognition mm-hmm. of beer mm-hmm. for sure. Yep. Um, and so I began my training there and completed my master's and then, um, went off to San Diego to do my internship and then, um, decided I wanted to start my own practice. These sound like really flippant things, but you know, anyways, I did it's, it. It's a good... <laughs> Many of us appreciate a good windy path. Uh-huh. Oh, it's, yeah, very windy. 
and then um, started my own practice. And then really my foundation in starting out was neuro rehab. So working on a hospital unit for traumatic brain injury, stroke, Parkinson's disease, um, even joint replacement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a big one. Hip, knee replacement. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, trying to think what other sort of diet. Alzheimer's sometimes, but usually related to like a fall if someone had had a fall. Um, but working in that area in conjunction with physical, speech, and occupational therapy. Yeah. And then I'd finish that and then go work in the clinic in the same day um, um, with more neurodevelopmental, which we'll get into. And I saw this huge intersection between the two and that techniques that were working with the population in the hospital were working with the adults and children that I was working with. Yeah. And um, that kind of led me to leave neuro rehab. And now I'm in private practice doing primarily neurodevelopmental. Right. And you are able to work a lot with people who are both speaking and non-speaking. Yes. Yes. Which I think is really interesting. And we'll definitely, we will have specific episodes about that Mm -hmm. down the road. But Mm -hmm. we can sort of talk about it as it comes up. Um, What about you, Dr. Jones? Yeah. I am feeling so much better about how I decided where to go to grad school after hearing (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so nice to know I'm not the only one that looking back made a choice that was like, Oh, yeah, (laughs) completely clueless. Mm -hmm. So I am a pediatric neuropsychologist, which means I work with children looking at the intersection of brain and behavior, Um, but also am a trained clinical psychologist and work with people with trauma histories. So laughing at Peggy's description because I was the classic nerd who went straight through undergraduate and then to grad school, picked my graduate school because I went to the library and picked out a book of the top clinical psychology programs with PhDs and applied, thinking nothing about where they were, yeah. how I would like living there, and ended up at the University of Kansas. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah. So actually, actually spent four years in Kansas. Um, and it was actually great because Lawrence is a fabulous... Yes, it is. You know, had a wonderful mentor, Charlie M- Mullenhart, um, and didn't even know how wonderful she was until I left and heard all these horror stories. Um, did my first neuropsych rotation at the at the what was it Kansas City VA um, and hated it was like into kids didn't want to work with dementia uh-huh. like like love the brain no way am I doing this and so focused in pediatrics and kiddos and trauma and yeah. trauma you are and a trauma, trauma expert trauma. I, I mean, so one of the that things about Dr. Jones thing. is she is very humble and she does not mm-hmm. she does not toot her own horn no she does very, not very yeah. easily yeah. Um, but she is quite the quite the expert in the area of trauma. That that's what I do. But that that gets to be challenging. And one of the things I noticed is a lot of learning problems and attentional problems in the kiddos that I work with. And somewhere in there, a long time ago, met Dr. Betting, who can be a bit of a nudge, <laughs> and was like, "So that's to put it mildly. So, like, so should Jamie, I be offended? No, you should not. No, it's, no, it's, no. it's been a good thing. And it was like, you know, Jamie, you really should do that additional training in neuropsych. You really should. You really should. And somewhere in there, I gave in. And it was great. It was great. So I did two years. And I'm persistent. You are very persistent. It's a good, <laughs> helpful thing. Um, so did two years of re-specialization in pediatric, well, neuropsych, specializing in pediatrics. Um, gosh, 10 years ago at this point? Yeah, it's been a while. Been eight, nine, ten years. Um, so promised my family at that point that I was done with school. 
Yeah, my, my little one who was in his life. Except for the teaching part. Except for yeah. the teaching part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. still do that. Because you're also a wicked professor. Uh-huh. I am. So, yeah, for some reason my students find me intimidating, which <laughs> which I laugh at. Since you can't see me, I'm like, oh, it's like <laughs> It's an energy. It's an, apparently it's uh-huh. an energy. Uh-huh. Um, so that's that's a little bit about me. You forgot to mention that you can take a car apart and put oh, it back I, together. Oh, I can. Yeah. So part part of what I did for fun as an undergraduate and grad student was raced cars and worked on cars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Had had to stop because somewhere in there your brain takes over and says, "I could die doing this," and <laughs> I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and I joke that once my children are adults, I can go back and do it because it won't matter. Okay. But I'll, by then I'll, I'll be, hold you to I'll that. be old and I won't want to. <laughs> Going 30. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> well, I feel like I've told my story too many times. It's so tedious. But uh, my, I, my path here is very, very windy. Um, I was going to be a poet. And uh, I was going to be a writer. And I went to UCLA and studied with Steven Yenser, um, who was the literary executor for James Merrill, who's one of my favorite poets. Um, and I only took one psychology class as an undergraduate and hated it. Um, I was because <laughs> like, you were at UCLA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then realized I had to find a way to make a living and I was not going to be an English professor because I'm, no. I'm not, no. I'm that's not, no. I'm not cut Mm-mm. out for that. Nope. So, um, so I became a magazine editor and my father is a grip on a ranch and is really into landscaping and stuff. And so, uh, I actually became the landscape editor at home magazine Worked there for a while, traveled around the country, visiting people's gardens and writing about them, (laughs) which was really, it was fun, you know, it was really fun, but it was fascinating because I found that I was wondering about, well, that, this is really interesting. One, wow, the fact that you have the money to have this amazing garden. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy smokes, this is really cool. But also, (laughs) yeah, but, but also like, what does it say? I began to become really interested in what people's. Uh Like uh-huh. how they interacted with the environment and, and their choices, what the, and their for choices, yeah. Certain things, yeah. So I thought that was more and more interesting. Plus, I was making fifteen thousand dollars a year, uh-huh. so um, yeah. Well. So I thought, wow. And also, I had a boss, and I'm not really good at having bosses. Yeah, no, no, um, no. So I went back to school in psychology and got a PhD, and I was going to be a psychoanalyst. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, and then I discovered that I. I actually thought the brain was really interesting and the stuff that was a turn off to me when I was at UCLA taking the classes I took, but those were in the days of Lovas and mm-hmm. sort of ways of looking at, at the brain and people were just very regressive. And, um, but as I learned more and more about current neuroscience, I thought, Oh wow, this is awesome. So we specialized in, in that, um, did some training, um, with Len Koziel, who uh, is a really brilliant guy. Um, and we, co-wrote um, Subcortical Structures and Cognition, a book that my father refers to as Sleeping. <laughs> no, it's fascinating and amazing. It's a very and good book. It's a very good book. Um, Top notch. Um, and have just sort of continued to be interested in neuroscience and how it's applied, that and playing video games yeah, and reading yeah. fashion magazines. Wow. So here we are. We are a motley crew. <laughs> 
Oh, I think it's important that we give a, a shout out oh, yeah. actually to um, the folks at Idle Thumbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chris Remo in particular gave some some very helpful advice out of his busy schedule and how to how to manage recording a podcast in person uh, as opposed to through Skype, which is sort of how it's done a lot of the times. And we decided that we all like getting together a lot and we really like talking to each other a lot. And we had to figure out how we could do this in person. Um, also, we have to do a shout out to um, my husband, yeah. Bill, who is our Engineer tech person Bill. who's mm-hmm. sitting here uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having to, having to listen this. to us. Although he's used to yeah. having to listen to us yeah. anyway. Yeah. But, yeah. So he's, and he's still here, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is a testament, I think, to his um, so, um, now that we've got, oh, we also and have our to music. say, our music yeah. is, um, is provided very generously by Nick Wan and it's Nick Wan, not Wan, um, who is a neuroscientist and also a really wonderful musician. I highly recommend, um, checking out his music. So thanks, Nick. Um, so maybe we, this would be a good place to put in our, um, Daniel Wolpert yeah. little clip. Yep. Um, I'm a neuroscientist. And in neuroscience, we have to deal with many difficult questions about the brain. But I want to start with the easiest question, and the question you really should have all asked yourself at some point in your life, because it's a fundamental question if we want to understand brain function. And that is, why do we and other animals have brains? Not all species on our planet have brains, so if we want to know what the brain is for, let's think about why we evolved one. Now, you may reason that we have one to perceive the world or to think. And that's completely wrong. If you think about this question for any length of time, it's blindingly obvious why we have a brain. We have a brain for one reason and one reason only, and that's to produce adaptable and complex movements. There is no other reason to have a brain. Think about it. Movement is the only way you have of affecting the world around you. That's not quite true. There's one other way, and that's through sweating. But apart from that, Everything else goes through contractions of muscles. So think about communication, speech, gestures, writing, sign language. They're all mediated through contractions of your muscles. So it's really important to remember that sensory, memory, and cognitive processes are all important, but they're only important to either drive or suppress future movements. There can be no evolutionary advantage to laying down memories of childhood or perceiving the color of a rose if it doesn't affect the way you're going to move later in life. Now, for those who don't believe this argument, we have trees and grass on our planet without the brain, but the clinching evidence is this animal here, the humble sea squirt. Rudimentary animal, has a nervous system, swims around in the ocean in its juvenile life, and on some point in its life, it implants on a rock, and the first thing it does in implanting on that rock, which it never leaves, is to digest its own brain and nervous system for food. (laughs) So once you don't need to move, you don't need the luxury of that brain. And this, is often, this animal is often taken as an analogy to what happens in universities when professors get tenure. But that's a different issue. Whenever we give talks, one of the things we do is sort of orient people to a sensory motor approach to things. Mm-hmm. And he does a better job of kind of orienting people to this way of looking at things than I think any of us could do. So, right. Um, so we'll insert that here. So we'll just mark it in our in our recording so that lovely Bill can just insert it with his <laughs> magical powers. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, why don't we kind of talk a little bit about some of the, the general topics that we're going to be mm-hmm. going into and maybe defining some terms. 
Um, I haven't been keeping track of the time because, you know, you. I'm not. Oh, but good, because I'm me. Um, I can see oh, it. Good. We're good. You can see it. Good. Yeah. Okay. So um, should, should we talk about sensory motor a little yeah. bit and what, yeah. what that is since it's a term we throw around a lot and um, – yeah. It's a term. It's a term of art, sort of, that we use clinically, mm-hmm. um, but it's also really important in terms of our orientation to the world, so to speak. Um, so, Peggy, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, sensory motor is what was it that you said? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the intersection, intersection, right, of our sensory, sensory system and our motor go. system. I got it. I pulled it out, guys. Um, it's early in the morning. Yeah. Well, we can edit that part out. Okay, so... Um, We're having coffee and not beer, and that's a problem. I'm yeah. being distracted by your coffee cup. So. <laughs> <laughs> My stroop cup. Her stroop cup. All right. So the the foundations of sensory motor from our perspective. So we've got a couple of pieces here. We've Well, mul- multiple pieces. But the the two big blocks that we kind of look at are rate, rhythm, force... And then this this concept of intention programs. So what are intention programs? Um, the way I kind of describe it, which I'll give some credit here for uh, Ann Donnellan, who was a big, yeah. big help in helping me to understand these concepts as well. Before I met you guys, um, and then meeting you guys and having us really look at it this way has been super helpful. So Ann Donnellan. Um, but the, the intention programs have to do with start, continue, stop. Those are the three foundational blocks of movement. You must have a start, a continue, and a stop. If you have an issue with start or stop, transitions will be an issue because that is the definition of a transition. Yep. Stopping one thing, starting another, vice versa. And then starting and continuing is the definition of combining. So being able to do some two things, two or more things at the same time. And so those are really the foundational blocks, at least in my work, that I really assess when I'm, I'm seeing clients. And then additionally, the rate, rhythm, force. So this concept of regulation, this is a term that gets thrown around a lot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know exactly. I mean, for us, we use the term undershoot and overshoot a lot. What does that mean? Right. Right. And, 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 it's, and it's a very cerebellar mm-hmm. kind of term. Mm-hmm. And we use it. Um, Jamie, you use a great example of overshooting and undershooting in your college classes that you teach. Fear, right? Okay. It's always back yeah. to fear. Back to right here. Um, but it, you know, the 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 motor manifestation of this is dysmetria, um, and so it's it's being able to, if you're reaching for a target, whether you are overshooting it, mm-hmm. undershooting it, reaching it, um, and uh, Jamie, would you like to use your? Uh, sure. <laughs> It's so delightful. It is. So it's, you know, when you're used to things in the world being a certain way, like glass beer mugs, and you know how much force you need to use to get that glass beer mug to your mouth. Um, And then suddenly one day it's not made out of glass. It's made out of plastic. (laughs) And most people, the first time they pick up a plastic beer mug, sort of overshoot. Mm -hmm. So they pick it up with too much force. Mm -hmm. And most people figure it out before it goes over their shoulder that they need to lighten the grip a little bit um, but people with cerebellar problems don't have that ability to kind of make that switch mm-hmm. and so overshooting is the beer goes over your shoulder and not in your mouth yeah um, one of the things that's important that we talk about and certainly in the publications that we've done is is links between movement and thought yes and so yes. all of these things that are applied to uh, physical movements are also relevant relevant to uh, cognitive and exactly. emotional function. Exactly. And so this is where understanding this becomes really useful in 
thinking about cultural matters, in looking at um, ways people appreciate the arts or don't. Um, There's lots of ways that this can be applied. Mm -hmm. Um, Also in terms of neurodevelopmental and neurodegenerative disorders, um, many of them really are about intention Mm -hmm. and whether you can create and implement intention programs effectively um, in relation to your environment. Mm -hmm. So the other piece is um, with adaptive function is can you manage yourself and your environment independently effectively? Can you direct your own behavior um, independently Mm -hmm. um, or do you require assistance? Mm -hmm. Um, And sensory motor function is absolutely essential for that. Yes. So what should we talk about next? Oh, this might be a great time to talk about neurodevelopment. Yeah. And what What is it? What is neurodevelopment? Mm. Um, You know, we're all sort of pediatric people. I mean, we see adults and I'd see neurodegenerative issues as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that I think we all have found in in terms of training is that human beings are sort of presented like Venus on the half shell, like, ta-da, they just emerge fully formed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and not... um, (laughs) And we don't think about the actual unfolding process that happens right. over the course of neurodevelopment. And um, as clinicians, I think one of the things we appreciate so much about um, seeing people who've had, for example, occupational therapy evaluations and things mm-hmm. is that the way their sensory motor development and movement patterns have unfolded really do tell you a lot about how their cognitive yes. development is proceeding. Absolutely. Um, and... So understanding something about a person's ability to manage the sensory environment and to use motor behavior uh, is very, very helpful clinically um, and helps to understand things like autism spectrum disorders, ADHD, learning disabilities, mm-hmm. Tourette mm-hmm. syndrome, mm-hmm. thought disorder, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to hop in with anything with that? Um, I think the only thing I would say about the, the sensory motor, at least from my clinical work that I see so important, especially in this population, is picking out, finding the kids who could sift through, uh, go unnoticed. Yeah. And analyzing how they move very much helps in breaking down how they're thinking. Yeah. Does their arm swing? Does it not swing when they're walking? Things of these natures that you can really break down and apply. Yeah. Um, and it's a very useful tool. Um, should we take a, a slight break here yeah. for just a minute? Yeah. Back from our break, and uh, we were talking about neurodevelopment. So let's let's talk a little more about neurodevelopment and um, why it's important. Mm-hmm. Something that stands out in our conversations that we have both in our presentations um, is the concept of cerebellar development yes um yes that, as you put it it cooks better in than out it cooks better inside <laughs> than outside right um also one of the things we, we can't really get into this today but um one of the things that comes up a lot is that because medical care has has improved so dramatically a lot of preemies and micro preemies are surviving mm-hmm. um uh, but what we're also finding is that many of them end up having um some pretty significant problems say with executive function Mm -hmm. and uh, a higher rate of autism spectrum disorder and that Mm -hmm. a lot of this is linked to 
um, cerebellar development mm-hmm. um, and what we call trophic changes uh, in the intersection uh, between the cerebellum and the prefrontal cortex and how they develop together. Um, now, of course, we are all very biased in terms of feeling like uh, deep brain structures get very short shrift in terms uh-huh. of research. It's everybody's like, oh, cortex is the right. best. Oh, right. cortex, cortex. I mean, I like cortex. I would you know, be sad if I didn't have it. But, you know, the cerebellum in <laughs> particular. Right. Well, I might, Actually, it might I be better off. <laughs> <laughs> might not know that you didn't have it. But, you know, how many pictures don't have Right. I mean, even freaking Daniel Wolpert, like that that talk that we played. Yeah. He's got a giant picture of the brain behind him, and there's no. He's a cerebellar researcher, <laughs> and there's there's no cerebellum in that brain picture. It makes me crazy. He didn't take uh, the picture. No. Okay. Um. Anyway. Um. So one of the things that that having this sort of sensory motor approach that we have, and also appreciating um, large scale brain networks, is that it gives us an opportunity to really um, re-examine how people are in the world and how they develop and and then come up with some ways to help support mm-hmm. especially people with neurodevelopmental differences mm-hmm. in their developmental process. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, looking at the neuro- neurodegenerative side, mm-hmm. um, that you know there are some links to be found in terms of neurodevelopmental and neurodegenerative disorders. Um, and um, thinking about, again, ways to support people um, in their adaptive function in the course of a neurodegenerative disorder. Right. So. And I also think one of the important things to remember about neurodevelopment is that it is a process. Yep. And what you can expect of any given person at any given point in development varies greatly, particularly with regard to intention programs and you know, rate, rhythm, and force. And I think parents often struggle with, is a child doing something intentionally? Right. Is it a can't? Is it a won't? And I think also, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is the interaction, you know, sort of in neurodevelopment between a child and their environment. Yes. So certainly a lot of neurodevelopment is unfolding, but it's unfolding guided by what a child is exposed to. which is part of why I love working with kids because early intervention is then so important because if a child has proper interventions, how their neurodevelopment unfolds ends up being very different than if they're not given those same interventions. Or if they're given intrusive interventions. Right. And this is why, I, you know, one of the things I'm hoping we can spend some time talking about on, on subsequent episodes are, you know, what, what are we doing with intervention? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that we are all very... Um, sympathetic to the neurodiversity movement and to um, including um, the input and the views of people with disabilities and right. making right. interventions right. and being concerned about coercion. Uh-huh. And making sure that interventions don't become traumatic. Right. I've got a lot of families right. I work with where early interventions were quite frankly traumatic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And this is where, again, we, well, two of the three of us have interest in video games. Um. <laughs> this is Peggy. I do not. I do not. <laughs> we keep, we when keep they trying. refer to video games, my brain goes, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> but, Just but, clarify. But both Jamie and I see a lot of families where, you know, people have, you know, challenges around navigating um, access to any Technology. technology. I mean, sure, and that's certainly sure. you're familiar yeah. with that. I am familiar right? with you're, you're technology. Fam- you're familiar yes. with the with how much iPad 
uh-huh. should a child have that's correct yeah access oh, to absolutely um and the benefits of it right uh for a lot of the people i work with but correct right right let's not overshoot right on the ipad <laughs> Five hours on the iPad consecutively <laughs> is now, they're no longer here. They are check out. checked out. But, but that's also why when you look at things from a sensory motor or what sometimes we call a bottom up, top mm-hmm. down, mm-hmm. Um, it is an understanding a person's arousal level, Correct. understanding, you know, how being able to hyper-focus on something mm-hmm. or engage in some kind of repetitive behavior um has some real adaptive mm-hmm. advantages and useful things. And so interacting with parents and, you know, the adults right. in a kid's life right. around that is super important. Um, the other thing we're hoping to touch on, too, is we're all very interested in intersectional work and um, have an interest in looking at the cultural aspects. So, um children of color Mm -hmm. with disabilities and ways that they end up being treated Mm -hmm. um, or not treated or not treated um, treated incorrectly treated incorrectly misdiagnosed and misunderstood which Mm kind of goes back I mean I don't know if we want to do this right now but sort of put a pin in this concept of competency right presumed Um, competence presumed Mm -hmm. competence and how important that is in in understanding both the let's say the threshold at which you can push someone to do something right. versus right. it's quote unquote defiant or right. You know, right labeling things knowing that this person is competent and capable but we need to be empathetic to their needs right right well and also the difference between for example an autistic meltdown and right. a temper tantrum that's right those Absolutely. are super important things mm-hmm. and how temper uh, temper tantrum I temper tantrum th- <laughs> not enough coffee paraphrasing or beer of the day right? um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're such nerds. You just said that. Okay. Um, uh, gladly. Uh, but, uh, the temper tantrum can start out as a, as a meltdown, right? Or as what gets defined as a meltdown, but it overshoots to a level that is not regulated anymore. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, I think that the, that the, the way that things get, defined becomes very important mm-hmm. um i'm i'm very active on twitter jamie you're sort of active on twitter <laughs> peggy. and peggy here again no i'm not <laughs> ja- jamie tries <laughs> um, but one of the reasons i am active on twitter is because i follow a lot of people in the disability community mm-hmm. who i i really value their their input and i've learned so much um one of them is real social skills mm-hmm. and talking about this the importance of understanding you know people get upset yeah and right. so yeah. why can't a person with a disability get upset without right. it being completely pathologized right 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 and and so you know part of helping people with developmental differences is one helping to strengthen distress tolerance right mm-hmm. um and to encourage moving forward and not to say, oh, that makes you upset. Well, right. that makes you pathological. Or, right. oh, I'm not going to ask you to do anything because it makes Correct. you upset. People get upset. Yeah. Right? And and the fear. The yeah. fear. And, and another thing which I think Jamie could speak to because she's our trauma expert here, but the PTSD of being a parent of a child with a special need. Yeah. And how the meltdowns and the tantrums can be a trigger Absolutely. for all of well, this. Well, especially if a parent has a trauma history. Exactly. Um, 
that, I mean, that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing, but mm-hmm. it's, and that's another challenge I think that, that, that within the disability community we have is that on the one hand, we want to support people with disabilities. And I hate, you know, this sort of, you know, I have this saying, like, just say no to autism tragedy porn, right? Like, like this idea Absolutely. that somehow having a child with a disability is this martyring thing. Mm-hmm. However, there, there are real difficulties right. in raising That's a child right. who has developmental and sensory yep. challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? It's difficult being a parent. Yeah, well, it's, it's right? hard being a parent. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's challenging for parents with children who are on the spectrum is quite often they themselves are somewhere on the spectrum or their mm-hmm. spouse is somewhere on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that goes along with that neurology is being very black and white. Right. And we live in a culture that tends to be pretty black and white. So it's the, is it a temper tantrum or a meltdown? Right. Like, well, it yes. could be both. Yes. Right. It could, it could, it could be have both. morphed into right. the other. It, right. it can be both. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that it's hard being a parent, period. It's hard being a parent of a child with special needs, period. And, but that doesn't mean you get to do horrible things to your kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. If you're having a hard day, it's called take a break. Right. Right. Take a break. Right. Um, well, and, and again, the cultural piece is, is huge because for people in the dominant culture, this is a challenge. For people of color, um, it's 50 times worse. Absolutely. And plus, the, the, as we saw with Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. like the, the black boys in particular are uniformly seen as older right. than they actually right. are, right. as more dangerous mm-hmm. than they actually are. Mm-hmm. And so we have this whole systemic um, kind of implicit bias that goes on. Um, so one, one of the things we're going to be talking about on the podcast actually is the concept of implicit bias mm-hmm. and um, some research about implicit bias. We'll have, I'm not sure who we'll have on to talk about it with us at this point yet, but we'll be talking about it specifically and talk about some ways that um, people's implicit biases can be addressed and hopefully rectified. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of also part of our, our intersectional um, approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're all, you know, here we are, three white ladies. Um, and, you know, we're, again, aware of that. And we also want to have um, people as guests on the po- podcast who can bring their perspectives on um, so we can try to do some amplification. Yeah, and we're curious. And we're curious. I mean, that's yeah. why we have that name. Yeah. Or is it we are curious. curious and we're interested in you know we're interested in in the arts mm-hmm. and so we're hoping to have people on who um, are content creators or who mm-hmm. write about uh, various media um, and talk about it but also you know from again this this perspective mm-hmm. um, we aren't going to talk about this at any great length today but one of the areas of research that we're interested in is embodied cognition mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we'll be able to talk about that a little bit, um, varying ideas about what that means. Um, this might be a good place to pause again. Yeah. Okay, so um, we thought we'd spend the last few minutes sort of um, talking about a, a topic that has been on our minds. <laughs> Some more and than others. Some more than others. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the new, I don't know if you know about this, but the new Star Wars movie came out. Yeah, some, um, some of us at the table have, know about it. Some of us have seen it. I think the audience is going to get a hint about Peggy. <laughs> Not seen it. Here? 
So I've, I've seen it once, and I'm going to see it the second time tomorrow. Yep. Um, okay. I, uh, well, I love the movie. But the one of the things that, that we've been talking about is how distressed we are. Isn't that a nice... See how I pulled you back, pulled back, back, on pulled back on the yeah, F word? Yeah, that's good. Good, um, good job there. Good inhibition. Thank you. Good in- inhibition mm-hmm. skills. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, about the, the lack of um, Ray dolls. Like, what the heck? No girl doll, huh? There's no, there's girl, no, doll. no girl doll. But it's not on purpose, no, right? no, 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 no. We just forgot. Um, just, just forgot that the main heroine of the movie forgot to make it all about her. Yeah. So this is, this is really disturbing. And would you um, have known she was the main heroine of the movie just by the trailers no, no no you wouldn't have no it's it's really really disturbing so the the lack of i just find in in you know the year of our lord 2016 <laughs> there we're having to have this conversation right. about this that right. there's there there can't be a girl figure mm-hmm. in all of these um but it also reminded me um to mention this incredibly Cool. There's a the, the Kickstarter that started for the Angelica doll, which is a a, a doll with with natural hair um, for African American girls. Um, the the Kickstarter finished and the doll is is out and it's really cool. Like you can you can wash the hair, you can style it, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It looks like a, kind of like an American girl. So mm-hmm. um, I wanted to um, mention this and sort of give them. You know, give people access to it's called naturally perfect dolls and it's the angelica doll so we'll put the uh address the website address in the show notes i'm not sure the availability yet at this point because it's, it's brand new mm-hmm. um but it's it's super cool um she's gorgeous as yeah. someone else who saw her it's a really gorgeous a doll. Be- oh, yeah. beautiful beautiful her hair is like gorgeous so it's natural hair and mm-hmm. you can you know play with it we, ha- we got one for the playroom because we see you know, a lot of Know, kids and mm-hmm. we wanted to have we wanted to have dolls yeah I mean mm-hmm. neurodiversity we wanted to have dolls that you know people could play with that look like them I mean it's one of the mm-hmm. when we talk about this when we have episodes we'll be talking about video games too and you'll try not to fall asleep um one of the drink beer you know one of the things that, that we care about is representation and diversity in in all media right. um but uh, additionally in in video games so hopefully I'm hoping that we can um see if we can convince Tanya uh, the past to come on as a guest at some point and oh, talk with us. Um, she does. Um, uh, I need diverse games, and and she and David also do the Fresh Out of Tokens podcast, which is a great podcast. If you haven't listened to it, you really should. Um, so before we say goodbye for today, maybe we'll uh, talk a little bit about what our next episode will be. We're at this point we're doing kind of a biweekly thing, um, given our schedules. Um, so the next one will be specifically about neurologic music therapy and we'll yes. star, we'll our, star. Friend and, we'll star. We'll star our friend and colleague, yes. Peggy Schaefer. Yes. I mean, well, star. maybe we can, maybe we can bring Dr. Tout on. Hey, you never know. <laughs> maybe he'll, maybe yeah. he'll just show up. I can email him, see what he says. Um, folding, but it's unfolding guided by what a child is exposed to, um, which is part of why I love working with kids because early intervention is then so important because if a child has proper interventions, 
how their neurodevelopment unfolds ends up being very different than if they're not given those same interventions. Or if they're given intrusive interventions. Right. And this is why, I, you know, one of the things I'm hoping we can spend some time talking about on, on subsequent episodes are, you know, what, what are we doing with intervention? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that we are all very um, sympathetic to the neurodiversity movement and to um, including um, the input and the views of people with disabilities and right. making right. interventions right. and being concerned about coercion. Uh-huh. And making sure that interventions don't become traumatic. Right. And I've got a lot of families right. I work with where early interventions were quite frankly traumatic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 And this is where, again, we, well, two of the three of us have interest in video games. Um. <laughs> I, this is Peggy. I do not. I do not. <laughs> We can, we when they try. refer to video games, my brain goes wah 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 wah. <laughs> but just but, clarifying. But both Jamie and I see a lot of families where, you know, people have you know challenges around navigating um, access to any technology. Technology. I mean, sure, and that's certainly sure. you're familiar yeah. with that. I am familiar right? with you're, technology. You're, fam- you're familiar yes. with the with how much iPad uh-huh. should a child have? That's correct. Yeah, access oh, to absolutely. Um, and the benefits of it, right? Uh, for a lot of the people I work with, but correct, right? right. Let's not overshoot, right? On the <laughs> iPad, <laughs> five hours on the iPad consecutively <laughs> is now they're no longer here. Right. They're checked out, checked out. But, but that's also why when you look at things from a sensory motor or what sometimes we call a bottom up, top mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an understanding a person's arousal level, correct. understanding you know how being able to hyper-focus on something or engage in some kind of repetitive behavior um, has some real adaptive Mm -hmm. advantages and useful things. And so interacting with parents and, you know, the adults in a kid's life around that is super important. Um, The other thing we're hoping to touch on, too, is we're all very interested in intersectional work and... um, have an interest in looking at the cultural aspects, so um, children of color Mm -hmm. with disabilities and ways that they end up being treated. Mm -hmm. um, Or not treated. Or not treated. Treated Um, incorrectly. Treated incorrectly, misdiagnosed. And misunderstood, which Mm kind of goes back, I mean, I don't know if we want to do this right now, but sort of put a pin in this concept of competency. Right. Presumed competence. Um, Presumed Mm -hmm. competence and how important that is in, in understanding both the, let's say, the threshold at which you can push someone to do something right. versus right. it's quote-unquote defiant or right. You know, right. labeling things, knowing that this person is competent and capable, but we need to be empathetic to their needs. Right, right. Well, and also the difference between, for example, an autistic meltdown and right. a temper tantrum. That's right. Those Absolutely. are super important things. And mm-hmm. how temper, uh, temper tantrum... I temper tantrum. Tantrum. <laughs> Not enough coffee. Paraphasing or error of the day. Right? Um, uh, <laughs> we're such nerds. You just said that. Okay. Um, uh, gladly. Uh, but, uh, the temper tantrum can start out as, as a, a right. as a meltdown, right? Or as what gets defined right. as yeah. a meltdown, but it overshoots to a level that is not regulated anymore. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And, and, um, I think that the, that the, the way that things get, defined becomes very important mm-hmm. um, 
I'm I'm very active on Twitter. Jamie, you're sort of active on Twitter. <laughs> Peggy. And Peggy here again. No, I'm not. <laughs> ja- Jamie tries. <laughs> Um, but one of the reasons I am active on Twitter is because I follow a lot of people in the disability community mm-hmm. who I I really value their their input and I've learned so much. Um, one of them is real social skills mm-hmm. and talking about this the importance of understanding. You know, people get upset. Yeah. And right. so yeah. why can't a person with a disability get upset without right. it being completely pathologized? Right. Right? Right. And and so, you know, part of helping people with developmental differences is one, helping to strengthen distress tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. Um and to encourage moving forward and not to say, oh, that makes you upset. Well, right. that makes you pathological. Or, right. oh, I'm not going to ask you to do anything because it makes Correct. you upset. People get upset. Yeah. Right? And and the fear. The yeah. fear. And, and another thing which I think Jamie could speak to because she's our trauma expert here, but the PTSD of being a parent of a child with a special need. Yeah. And how the meltdowns and the tantrums can be a trigger Absolutely. for all of well, this. Well, especially if a parent has a trauma history. Exactly. Um, that, I mean, that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing, but mm-hmm. it's, and that's another challenge I think that, that, that within the disability community we have is that on the one hand, we want to support people with disabilities and I hate, you know, this sort of, you know, I have this saying, like, just say no to autism tragedy porn, right? like, like this idea Absolutely. that somehow having a child with a disability is this martyring thing. Mm-hmm. However, there, there are real difficulties right. in Raising That's a child right. who has developmental and sensory yep. challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? It's difficult being a parent. Yeah, well, it's, it's right? hard being a parent. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's challenging for parents with children who are on the spectrum is quite often they themselves are somewhere on the spectrum or their mm-hmm. spouse is somewhere on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that goes along with that neurology is being very black and white. Right. And we live in a culture that tends to be pretty black and white. So it's the, is it a temper tantrum or a meltdown? Right. Like, well, it yes. could be both. Yes. Right. It could, it could, it could be have both. morphed into right. the yeah. other. It, right. it can be both. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that it's hard being a parent, period. It's hard being a parent of a child with special needs, period. And, but that doesn't mean you get to do horrible things to your kid. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. If you're having a hard day, it's called take a break. Right. Right. Take a break. Right. Um, well, and, and again, the cultural piece is, is huge because for people in the dominant culture, this is a challenge. For people of color, um, it's 50 times worse. Absolutely. And plus, the, the, as we saw with Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. like the, the black boys in particular are uniformly seen as older right. than they actually right. are, right. as more dangerous mm-hmm. than they actually are. Mm-hmm. And so we have this whole systemic um, kind of implicit bias that goes on. Um, so one, one of the things we're going to be talking about on the podcast actually is the concept of implicit bias mm-hmm. and um, some research about implicit bias. We'll have, I'm not sure who we'll have on to talk about it with us at this point yet, but we'll be talking about it specifically and talk about some ways that um, people's implicit biases can be addressed and hopefully rectified. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's sort of also part of our, our intersectional um, approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're all, you know, here we are, three white ladies. Um, and, you know, we're, again, aware of that. And we also want to have um, people as guests on the po- podcast who can bring their perspectives on um, so we can try to do some amplification 
Yeah, and we're curious. And we're curious. I mean, that's yeah. why we have that name. Yeah. Or is it we curious. are curious and we're interested in, you know, we're interested in in the arts mm-hmm. and so we're hoping to have people on who um, are content creators or who mm-hmm. write about uh, various media um, and talk about it, but also, f- you know, from, again, this, this perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, we aren't going to talk about this at any great length today, but one of the areas of research that we're interested in is embodied cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we'll be able to talk about that a little bit, um, varying ideas about what that means. Um, so um, next episode is going to be um, going to going to days. <laughs> <laughs> like um, ah! some of us that's some right. of us Woo! some of us don't have those days. No, some uh, of us do not. Some of us were not cool enough for that. Some of us have bando. I, I did so a year of that and a year of flags. Oh, you did color guard. Color guard's yeah. awesome. Color guard is awesome. Actually. But that's not. But, but that's not our next episode. Not. That is not. The next episode is going to be on neurologic music therapy. <laughs> Focus, ladies. Focus. Right. Focus. Start, starting. Starting. Starring our friend Peggy Schaefer. Yeah. So we're going to talk in some depth about mm-hmm. what neurologic music therapy is, how it can be applied, mm-hmm. and the benefits um, of drumming. And the yeah. benefits of drumming. That's right. Kind of, we'll talk about some you know, just rhythmic things in yeah. general. Um, and so, if you happen to actually listen to this, <laughs> and, you made it this far, <laughs> made it to the end, and um, you have questions about neurologic music therapy um, yeah. that you would like us to talk about, yeah. um, please send your questions in to we are neurocurious at gmail.com. That is our website. Say, it, say yeah. it once more. We are, so W-E-A-R-E, neurocurious. Do I have to spell neurocurious? They should know how to spell that, yeah? No. We'll, it. we'll put right, it in We're spelling it. Neur- N- oh, God, now I've got to spell it. N-E-U-R-O-C-U-R-I-O-U-S. We are neurocurious at gmail.com. That's right. Send those questions in. Um and uh, thank you so much for, yeah. for joining us. Oh, how can people uh, reach you, uh, individuals, uh, since especially you, Peggy, you're not on Twitter. Are you on any social media? No. <laughs> Will you be? No. <laughs> so if you want to, if you want to get in touch with Peggy, tough beans. Uh, <laughs> Jamie. Yeah, that's true, actually. Jamie. You can, what, you can reach me at Twitter at, at JamieBPhD. And that's J A Y M E. Oh, true. Yeah, PhD. yeah. You gotta clarify that one. Creative parents. Yeah, mm-hmm. I am at Nebula sixty three. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have our website, which is are we did we put that on a separate website or is it <laughs> Sensory Motor Foundations? We're super together. We're gonna have to edit this part. <laughs> yeah, we're, this part's getting taken out. I, yeah, uh, we don't have we don't a website have a yet. website up yet. Oh, for, for NeuroCurious, not yet. Okay, because that's where... So the podcast is going to be available through iTunes? How Are we putting it on iTunes? We'll figure, figure it out. Hopefully. Let's just... Let's just but we'll, we'll, when out. we have it up, we'll put it... I'll, I'll tweet it out um, through my account, and um, people can get access to or it Or maybe there. we'll re-record the last 30 seconds and give you the correct information. Okay. Whatever <laughs> works. All right, so we'll see you. we'll see you next time. Peace out. Bye. Bye.